So we never had the chance to talk about the Epic Game Store. This launched a few months ago. Um, Epic Games, the the creators of Fortnite, as I guess mm. they are <laughs> most yes. popularly known now. This they launched back in December. Uh, the Epic Game Store, it's a PC store uh, for games, and basically this is where you get Fortnite. Right. So like, okay, big plus, right? That's where Fortnite comes from now. So that's a big kind of like a thing that will bring people to it, right? Like if you if you're ever thinking about like, oh, how can I get people to come to my new video game store? Having the world's most popular video game is definitely a good start. That sort of helps. <laughs> it is a it is a it is a good start. And uh so far they have been attracting a lot of indie developers to publish exclusively or just to also publish on the platform and the way they have done this is they do they have a flat 12 percent cut so the developer walks away of 88 percent and epic has 12 percent um mm. to put this into perspective steam's standard cut is 30 percent until you hit 10 million dollars in sales where it drops to 25 percent and then they drop <laughs> big, it again at other t- tiers yeah it's a huge like it's almost one of those things where it's like it's not really a selling point. Like at ten yeah. million dollars of sales, really, you should be doing closed door deals with mm-hmm. people as mm-hmm. opposed to there being like this thing that you can aspire to. Like it seems very strange. But it's like now everybody can get a five percent cut when you reach ten million sales. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, geez, all you got to do is hit that incredibly achievable goal of ten million dollars. Yeah. Mm. Well, up until now, uh, there has just been, as I mentioned, right, like Epic's games and some indie developers and stuff. But as of today, as well as of yesterday, sorry, when we record this, um, there has been the first kind of AAA publisher do a deal with Epic. So the Division Two which is going to be published by Ubisoft, mm-hmm. is going to be launching exclusively on uh, on on Epic Games as a game store. Uh, Ubisoft will sell it directly, and it will be on consoles. But if you want to buy it on PC from like a store, it will be on Epic Games, which means, obviously, it's not on Steam. Um, and apparently Ubisoft and Epic have announced like a larger partnership uh, where mm-hmm. they're going to be working more closely together and i and i just saw yesterday that um epic had a, had a blog post where they're basically arguing that all these modern digital stores that are still asking for a 30 percent revenue cut they may be overcharging by three to four hundred percent what is actually necessary to run a, a digital store uh, because epic games is saying that um based on their experience with fortnite and with the developers that they're working with um they don't believe it's necessary to charge that amount of money if, to break even so that is why they want to charge 12 percent uh so they can make a profit out of that but they they basically said we absolutely don't think that 30 percent is required at this point because once you reach a certain scale uh the numbers ju- just don't add up anymore and so that's why they're doing the the game store at 12 because they feel like it's the bare minimum they can charge to make a profit not to break even which is still a big difference like uh compared to 30 uh it's less than half so they're basically, um, I think it's very clever that Epic is using their uh, massive importance as the publisher of Fortnite to sort of go directly against Steam. But it, it all, uh, also feels to me like there's a, there's a general dissatisfaction. I feel like what I'm seeing is, and this applies to Android, uh, this applies to Apple as well, and to Steam, of course. I'm seeing like this general trend and increasingly growing discussion about the fact that 30% in 2019 is too much. Like people are saying this about the App Store, people are saying this about Steam. I don't think this is just about Epic. I think it's about the idea of a digital marketplace run by these massive corporations at scale. So I think it's interesting that Epic is the first example, the first big example of a company saying, no, this is too much, we're going to do less. Um, and I, I'm kind of curious to see if Apple and maybe others are going to follow. Like, there has to be a response to this because I feel like more and more publishers are going to 
um, knock at Epic Store and say, oh, well, we kind of want in on the deal as well. Um, I don't know. Have you guys noticed any of these discussions um, in tech or the video game industry? Well, I mean, it happens with Apple all the time, right? So right. Netflix just uh, pulled the ability to sign up for a Netflix plan in the Netflix app. You now have mm-hmm. to sign up on the Netflix website. So they're doing that thing, you know, where they're like, oh, you need an account, right? Like, but they don't, they're not allowed to say where the account comes from. Um, and then if you think about, right, like, Apparently, apparently, I don't know how real this is, but I do believe it. Netflix was wasn't paying thirty percent anyway; they were paying fifteen. Yeah, like, that's the rumor, yeah. And that this isn't just a oh, when they get to a year of subscription, no, they were just paying fifteen, which I one hundred percent believe because, like, why would that not have happened? But now Netflix, I guess, is saying fifteen percent is too much, um, and I kind of get it, right? Because like. What are Netflix getting from Apple for their 15%? They don't need the visibility from they get Apple nothing. because they're Netflix, yeah. They get nothing. They get they get essentially distribution no, of yes, the distribution. iOS binary. Yes, that's, that's it. what they get. That Netflix <laughs> Thanks, do not Apple. have to have a server where people download the app from. They get nothing more than that. Like Netflix being in the App Store, Netflix being number 1 in the App Store, it doesn't do anything. Like that—that's not the marketing that Netflix needs, and it's not—it's not you know. It's like people don't find it that way. People know about it, or they find it in another way. They find it from the millions of dollars that uh, Netflix spends on advertising, right? It's not coming from being number one or number ten in the app store, right? And any feature that Netflix gets from Apple, it's like great, like. We're paying. I guess we're paying for what we're supposed to be getting now, right? Like this is the marketing, effectively, that we're paying you for. So I totally understand how a publisher would want to move to Epic, but what are Steam going to do? Because this is a risk for them. I mean, Mm. this isn't as important, but Discord has a game store now, and they're saying ten percent. Yeah, I'm kind of suspicious of these races to the bottom. I mean, they're they're kind of gimmicky. I think Discord's is. I think Discord, they just picked a number that was lower than everybody else's because they need to make a move. Why is that one gimmicky and Epic's not? Because I don't think that they're wrong in what they're saying about the amount of money you need to operate. Like, Apple felt that 15% was perfectly fine. So why wouldn't 12 be? And I think Epic at the moment are trying to convince people to join the store. So of course they're going to aim low, but it it doesn't really necessarily feel like a, like a gimmick to me. No, that using that as the approach, because Steam offers a lot more than distribution. It offers an enormous user base. You know, they built up that customer base. There's a lot of value in that. That's one heck of a list that they have. Sure. Plus the, plus the infrastructure they've built on it, all of the services that they provide as part of the Steam API. You know, there is a bunch of added value that they know that their customers enjoy. And if you enable various APIs, then people can enjoy that value. Netflix is a very different argument because Netflix doesn't need that. Netflix just needs, as Federico says, a way of getting the binary onto Apple devices, and then the rest is down to Netflix servers streaming that stuff straight down. It's not like you need Game Center or machine learning or any of Apple's stuff for that. And the other thing is, Epic have been quite smart. You know, they're, they're very good at PR. They're very good at getting that attention. So when I, when I say it's gimmicky, yes, it is, but that's exactly the way they need to grab the attention that they need. Plus, of course, they have this tiny little thing called Fortnite, which helps them enormously in grabbing that customer base. Let's not forget that Steam started out in a very similar way. It was, a, it was just a vehicle to get patches for Counter-Strike out, you know? Yep. It wasn't necessarily going to be a store in its own right. And it became a store because of the interest in Counter-Strike. And of course, Epic had been very clever in leveraging the enormous, unparalleled install base of Fortnite to get that Epic list, if you like, <laughs> And it's almost as if the 
the cut is just a bait to get some of the biggest players on board. This, for the smaller players, it doesn't make, make, make that much difference. Yeah, it's, it's cool and everything. But I'll tell you what really appeals to developers is not that they get a much bigger cut. Because in, in the bigger picture, it doesn't make an awful lot of difference because their revenues are much smaller from sales of their games. It's that they get to use Unreal for free. That's the thing that really appeals to them. They don't have to pay a license fee if they use Unreal and sell on the Epic mm-hmm. Store. That's very appealing to Unreal developers. The other thing is they've picked their battles very carefully. They haven't gone up against PlayStation or Xbox. You know, they said very publicly that, look, they need to be able to recoup their platform expense, their hardware expense, and this is why they're doing things the way that they're doing. It's a very much a closed platform approach. For For Epic, it's much more a battle against what are supposedly open platforms making a lot more than they probably should. And that's an understandable argument. But as for whether 12% is the right number or 15% is the right number, it doesn't even matter anymore. What matters is Epic has the customer base now to appeal to. The question is, does that matter to Steam customers? It really does depend on the games, doesn't it? Because everyone has Fortnite, but Fortnite will come and go. Mm-hmm. But then there is an enormous customer base already that's heavily entrenched in Steam, is very happy with their Steam library, is very happy with the Steam sales, is very happy with what they're able to get from that. And if they want to get other games, then they'll get them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Epic will win everybody over. I think it it will make a difference over time particularly given some other annou- uh, announcements that have not been handled particularly well. I don't know if you heard the news today, but there's been this kind of misunderstanding between Unity and Improbable about yep. the use of um, the, the Unity engine in a way that goes against their latest terms of service. And that has affected some developers today pretty badly. Quite a few developers scared about that. And of course, I don't know if you noticed, Tim Sweeney jumped onto that straight away uh, and and made a, a rather big point of it very publicly on, on Twitter, pulling up the exact issue at hand and saying that by by this agreement, the likes of Fortnite and PUBG and, and others wouldn't have happened. So this is very much a PR game. What's happening behind the scenes is obviously very interesting. We talked about The, the Division 2. But you can bet your bottom dollar there are loads of other conversations going on, some of which might not necessarily be announced because larger third-party publishers are going to hedge their bets. And they don't want to uh, upset Steam either because that's where most of their revenue is right now. I, just, I, just, I look at stuff like this. like I feel it about Apple and I feel it about Steam too, and maybe even more so in Steam's case. Like they have, They're able to charge 30% because they've had no competition there's not been anybody like it's mm-hmm. been steam for so long right it's either you buy from steam or you buy direct from the publisher and when you buy direct from the publisher it's a terrible experience right if you use like ea's whatever yeah. nonsense thing that they have right yeah it just doesn't it just never works very well so steam's been great for that and i figure really it's probably time that they had a stick shoved up them like the Steam client is it's bad. It is bad software. It is it looks like it's stuck in the past. It is terrible on the Mac, right? Like when I open it on the Mac right now, it's like, uh this isn't kind of supported <laughs> properly anymore, right? Because it's I don't I don't really understand what's going on, but it's like it's so out of date at this point. Like it works like this clunky old piece of software. And I understand it's probably because it's so huge at this point, but like I feel like maybe the investment just isn't the same as it used to be. You know, I have to agree with you very, very strongly there. I feel very passionately about this because it's not just Steam. Steam is just a terrible piece of work on a Mac. Yeah. You know, it really doesn't look like a, to, a it's high no value different experience. on the PC though. Like it looks no, exactly no. the same on the PC. Well, right. I mean, yeah, you know, they're all using the same old tech. But then look at the PlayStation Store. I, I don't know. Do you like the PlayStation Store? Because I don't. But at least it looks nice. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but try nice. finding something. You know, yeah, try finding well. something and, and try scrolling around for a bit. Why does it chug? It chugs so badly. And there's no reason anything should chug on a PS4. Sure. 
absolutely no reason at all. So, uh, and, and until recently, the Apple App Store was abominable as well. Mm-hmm. I haven't had the opportunity to use um, the Google Play Store uh, in in years. Actually, I think it's, it's maybe two years since I last looked at it, it. It's fine, you know. Like, the... but but that, but that's my point. There are very few stores that are really good experiences, and you know. If you compare digital stores with retail stores, one of the reasons retail stores are losing out big time, really big time to Amazon, is because they don't really offer any added value. Mm-hmm. It used to be an experience to go to a store. I'll tell you what the experience of going to a store now is, uh, uh, and this is massively overplayed, by the way, but when I think of stores, I think of people beating each other up to buy sale items. And I'm thinking, you know what, I'll just order it on Amazon when it goes on sale. Yeah. And, and I know that's a massive, massive exaggeration. And so to counter that, I'll say, well, if you go to a store, in the old days when you went to a store, it was a real experience. People would know you by name if you were a regular at a store, no matter how big or small the store. People would know their customers. People would know what would delight their customers. Now it's just like every store is like concessions. And so everybody's offering a different experience. And so that whole thing, that whole aspect of the experience of a store doesn't exist anywhere right now. In fact, the best place is probably Amazon because the only experience they offer is you bought this, you might like this. And you know what? More often than not, they're right. What's the other experience that Amazon offer that nobody else does? Prime delivery. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, you know, there are very few people who get this right digitally or physically. So if Epic can get that right, if they can create a really, really good store experience that has a lot more. See, they've learned a hell of a lot about community doing Fortnite. And community is a bigger thing that's broken in video games right now. There's nothing that's more broken than community in video games. Any aspect of it. You look anywhere. It's the thing that keeps me from playing online. Why should I not be able to play online? Yeah? If I'm not playing online, who, who's going to feel safe online? You know, God forbid some young person with, with any number of issues gets treated in a not very nice way online so if they can Mm. solve the community issue and they have learned a lot about community then that's a big plus if they can make it a really good experience that's going to be a big plus and then you know what they can put the prices up the reason i'm not happy about them announcing the cut is they didn't have to do it that bit that deep right because i want them to make money i want them to make a lot of money and i want them to get it right You're right, Steam does need a challenger. It has been a monopoly for far too long. It does take a lot of money in in an environment now where prices have been going down for years. Bandwidth is nowhere near as expensive as it used to be, so they can't use that excuse anymore. So if Epic can outgun them in terms of experience, then why not do a 10% cut? You know, take it down to 20%. The problem with going to the level they have is that the only way from there they're ever going to be able to go is down. They will never be able to raise that. And that means they will not have enough to make it a really, really good good experience. And if they want to challenge Steam, and they, if they want to challenge Steam's numbers, then they've got to remember that despite Steam's ugly and uh, awful UX client, they have had a decade and a half of experience in how game communities work. All right, they haven't always made the right calls, but Valve has not been a bad company. You know, they have a good ethos. They've been reasonably good to their customers. They've, you know, they've not been outstanding, but they've been reasonably good. There's not a lot of flack you can throw at Steam, except for their client is poor. They haven't handled communities as well as they could have, except the, the issue with that, as I said, is nobody handles communities well. And the other thing is they offer people a repeatable, simple, straightforward experience, a way to get all of their games very, very easily, very, very quickly. And they worked on promotions for God knows how long. I don't know another company that gets promotions in digital games right as often as Steam does. That's a lot of experience. The algorithms they've used for that, the learning they've had from that. How many people get sales and promotions right? You know, you see loads of developers talking about how well they do out of Steam promotions. And if you time your promotions right... The the Steam sales might end up being one of the things that does keep them where they are because, as you say, the libraries, people's libraries are so large because they just jump into Steam sales and buy a bunch of games. Yeah, I did exactly that. I think I bought 15 games over the Christmas period. In the summer. I bought a bunch in the summer that I've never played, but they're there. Right. (laughs) But they were super cheap, so it doesn't bother me, right? Like, they're there if I want them. And you might go back to them. I did. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot to digest. I just wish they'd not gone that low. I know that they love the headline rate. I know that they've made a ton of money. Um, I know they're a reputable company. They have a fantastic engine. They have good relationships with developers. And Tim Sweeney does like a bit of PR. God bless him. But um, if they had gone just a little bit higher, they could have sustained it and they could have used more of that money to make sure that they really do offer Steam some tremendous competition. And I hope they do regardless, but I don't think they needed to go down to the the cut that they have. To 12. Yeah. Are there any... Do we think there's any downsides for users to in in this upcoming battle between Steam and Epic Game Store? Like, do we lose out on anything by having this competition? Minor inconvenience, honestly, in my opinion. Why? Because you have different uh, apps you because have to load for your two games. Two things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't see honestly what else a user could lose from in this. Let's say we have two equal weight stores let's say we are three years down the line and epic has stolen a significant chunk okay out, out of steam yeah mm-hmm. now you've got so now when games come out they've got to come out on the epic game store they've come, got to come out on steam they've got to come out on ps5 they've got to come out on xbox 2 or whatever they're going to call the successors right sure. you'll you'll have to do that now it's not trivial to do an extra version even on pc because you've got a whole new set of apis to conform to a whole new way of working a whole new way of adding all that stuff so it's going to be more expensive for people right so there is a downside of more expense and that's going to hit smaller developers harder because their user base despite despite their issues with steam their user base is now going to be more fragmented so they've got to work much harder in order to reach the same amount of customers. We're hoping, of course, the market will have expanded by then. There's every sign that it will. And hopefully, if Steam ups its game as a result of Epic's involvement, that'll mean even greater exposure all around. But I don't think it's going to be that simple because you're going to have a whole bunch of other stuff too. You can have the streaming services that these guys are up against. But yeah, so there's the extra cost of going after the additional platform. And what happens if they start to play silly... um, silly people i won't use the word um you know if you've got if you've got epic up against steam and there are some interoperability issues that's going to be a bit of a pain what what happens with exclusivity Mm. will exclusivity apply to one platform for a week and if you want to get a deal with one of these because you can bet they'll both be doing deals to try and secure the best possible content nobody likes exclusives except the platforms who get them well, and the developer. <laughs> Probably the developer likes it the most. <laughs> you know, it's it's a devil's bargain. Because although you do get... It has to be the right platform. Right, yeah? okay. I've got yeah. to choose, choose my words very carefully. Because I did that. I got exclusives, tons of them. Timed exclusives. Very few unlimited. I didn't want to do that to developers. But there were lots of timed exclusives going on. And some in some cases, there were no timed exclusives. Right. And then, you know, the competition was carefully carved out. I won't say what the competition was, but it's, it'll be obvious to anyone who wants to play guessing games for more than a fraction of a second. But in the PC, you'll have the same issue. You'll have one of these, or one of these giants in the PC games world, likely Epic and Steam. They'll be saying, come with us, give us, I don't know, a month exclusive and we'll, we'll give you this month this much extra who does that serve yeah i don't know that it serves anyone don't know that because let's face it you and i are going to have both clients right we don't care on a pc we don't care which client we have to we'll just get the game well there are some weird edge cases now where like if you are a subscriber of xbox game pass it's a benefit to you because exclusives get added to the game pass so, but like that's like a super esoteric thing, right? But by and large, yes, exclusives don't help you as a player in any way, right? Because exclusive means it's only going to be on one platform. Well, if Call of Duty is exclusive to PlayStation and you're a PlayStation customer, it is of no real benefit to you because it was probably going to be on PlayStation anyway they've now just locked out Xbox. Like, it's not, you know, and if you're an Xbox customer, well, darn it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you can't play Call of Duty. Right? So, like, I, I understand your point, right? Like, that exclusives don't really help anyone, but 
on the PC, on the PC, it is not as much of an issue because you just download the other app. There's no investment in money for you to get the Epic Game Store. Yeah, for you and I, no problem at all. I'll tell you who it will help the most in the short term is Epic. Yes. Because if they sign up loads of people Mm -hmm. on temporary exclusive, if those developers and publishers have a good experience and they're not somehow excluded from Steam, because let's, let's remember this also. In the past, there were cases... Uh, you remember the, the the parity clause with Xbox? They said that if you didn't release at the same time on our platform, you couldn't come out unless you significantly improved your game. Right now, what's to say? What's what's to say that Steam won't take the same line with the majority of developers, apart from the very very biggest? Because there are always deals to be done mm-hmm. with the very very biggest, right? You you just chuck in because I saw these things happen. Someone just chucks in some token DLC. There's a negotiation done about the true value of that DLC. Nobody really cares, but it somehow satisfies the rule. That's going to happen. You know, Steam might well say, you know what? Unless this is significantly different, we don't want it on our store. And if Epic are in the trailing position and that starts to happen, that puts Steam in a very, very strong position. So Epic are going to have to fork out big time to compensate for that, that loss of sales, loss of exposure. Right, so let me ask you then, then if we go back to the earlier discussion, did Epic set their price at 12% to hedge against these exact things? Yes and no. It's a statement price. Yeah? Mm -hmm. They're going to get people regardless because of that. There are people who are just going to go over there. Independent developers have got nothing to lose by going to them, and plenty to gain if they're using Unreal Engine. Plenty to gain. The biggest problem for independent developers is going to be Steam still has the majority of the market, but it doesn't matter on PC. It's not another platform. It's the same platform. It's just a competing store on the same platform. Imagine, if you want to see how this, this might work in another reality, imagine that PlayStation had an alternative store. Customer doesn't care. They'll just switch to the other store to get the game. Exactly. But they, they don't have that option. No. But developers will be absolutely fine. With, uh, with an Epic store. Because people will, if they want that game, they'll download it. But what, what smaller developers will need is people interested enough in the new store. And that is why the statement games need to come across. Yeah, because up until now, I, I don't think they have any exclusives except their own games. Apart from their own, right? And they're, they're good, but they're not as prolific as xbox and playstation they're, they don't own as many studios so they're not going to be able to create as much exclusive content for their store but they could certainly sign up exclusive content for their store mm-hmm. it is going to cost them but i don't think money's a problem for them right now no i don't think epic have a cash issue <laughs> <laughs> i think if there's one thing that epic they're cool with right now it's money i mean and that's why this is happening in the first place, right? Yeah. They, they, they are they are doing what Valve did in that, right? They they have a game which is popular enough, which needs a download mechanism. They're good for money, so okay, let's try and own the next ten years of this business, right? You know, that's kind of where I assume Epic are coming at this from. I mean, I wouldn't play it any differently if I was <laughs> in charge of Epic, honestly. Um, but I'm I'm very intrigued to see what happens, especially at a time where Valve have recommitted to making games, right? Mm, so they true. are making more games again now. Or so they say. Well, they've they've hired teams, <laughs> right? They've bought so, yeah, companies. Absolutely. Yeah, the, yeah. The, There's stuff that was going to exist, right? So like the Campo Santo game, which will now be a yeah. Valve game. Yep. yep. Um, and like. Half-Life 3, you know, any day now. <laughs> that, that's it, right? Like, they've just been waiting until they were in a position where they needed a shot in the arm, and uh, then they get the Half-Life 3 script out of the vault, and uh, now, it's, now it's the time, right? I think that's, prob- that's probably what's going to happen. You heard it here first. Hi. All right, today's episode has been brought to you in part by our friends at ExpressVPN. 
We're all seeing every single day data breaches. It's natural to worry about where your data goes today, especially when something as simple as logging onto a public Wi-Fi to send an email can put your private information at risk because you are probably being tracked every day by social media sites and marketing companies or maybe even your internet provider. You can take back your privacy with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing. It encrypts your data and hides your public IP address. You can turn on ExpressVPN protection with just one click. The easy-to-use apps run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet, and it costs less than $7 a month. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar, and it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep the bad guys away from your data, you need ExpressVPN. I feel like every day, everywhere I go, I am being barraged by the all of the myriad of issues. Like there was just, I just saw another uh, home security company, I'll say, with more issues mm. today, right? Like I feel mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter what you do now, your data is being spread out into the world. So I, f- I am definitely in the mode of feeling like I need to take some of this protection back. And that's why I'm happy that I'm now using ExpressVPN. When they reached out, they sent me an account and I downloaded it. I'm really happy with it. And now when I'm traveling, when I'm outside of the home, it's super easy to turn on on my iPhone and my iPad. Great. So now I am protected. If you don't want your online history in the hands of your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free of a one-year package at expressvpn.com slash remaster. To learn more and sign up, go to expressvpn.com slash remaster and you will also get three extra months free with a one-year package. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of Remaster and all of FM. So over the last few weeks, I've been having to limit my video game playing because I've been having some some super fun RSI issues. Uh, I actually think it was because of Pokemon. I screwed myself. I played too many hours holding the Switch, which I know I shouldn't do because I know it's bad for me. Um, And then it's just persisted for about six to eight weeks at this point. I feel oh, like I'm yeah. coming out on the other end of it, but this, I mean, you know, I know, Shahid, you've had these types of issues. I know other people that have these issues. If you do something that sets you back away, it takes so long to get back out of it because you're just in your normal life dealing with things. And I've been playing some games, but for, but like nothing mega new, right? Like I've been playing some Stardew stuff when me and Tiff are Twitch streaming, like that's kind of just been my my kind of basic right now. I'm looking forward to digging into um, New Super Mario Brothers. U. I think that's a game yes. that me and Adina are going to try playing together because I love those side scrolling games. But I know that you guys have been playing a bunch of stuff recently, so I want to know what you've been up to so I can put some things on my list for when I start to dig in a bit more. Okay, so um, I don't think you will put this one on your list because you finished this game. It's a Celeste. I've finally been playing Celeste. Okay. I actually started this game when it launched, uh, but I only played until like the first um, two or three, well, you call them stages? Or sure, a- yeah, the stages. Areas. Yeah. Um, uh, now I picked up Celeste again, and I'm slowly climbing my way to the top of the mountain. I totally understand why people have been praising this game for so long. I'm usually not into extremely difficult games or like the so-called massacre games. <laughs> but this one, it's got something to it. That like when you die and you're going to die often, you know that. Um, but it doesn't feel like a punishment. I, like It feels like I, uh, like I died because I'm not good enough. But it doesn't make me feel bad like other games. Like I bet yeah, it's like I, I'm I'm not good enough right now, but in yes, ten I, minutes I yes, will be. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's got this extremely tight feedback loop, uh, this game that doesn't make you feel stupid. Like I'm pretty sure that if I played Dark Souls I w- or or Bloodborne, I would feel stupid. And I think com- combining the the lovely graphics of this game with the amazing soundtrack and the underlying story it makes him yeah yeah wait till you get to the end oh my god (laughs) i want to get to the end and i cannot wait and i have to finish trying to like i'm trying to enjoy as much as possible of this game and like trying to collect the strawberries if Mm -hmm. i can uh like the extremely difficult ones 
I will ignore because ultimately I just want to see the end. But I, I'm trying to get as, as many as possible. Um, and I feel like this is one of the perfect games to play with the... Um, the Joy-Cons that I have with the actual D-pad controller, uh, it's perfect for this type of game, and I now have two of them that I originally bought to play um, Dead Cells, uh, but I'm now using for Celeste, and those are perfect. But yeah, I feel like it's a very rare instance of a difficult game that I can play without feeling bad about the fact that it's the that it's a hard game. Mm-hmm. Like, and it feels so rewarding when you when you reach the you know when you after you know you you master one of the screens. Uh, yeah, it feels really good, and I and I just want to try to enjoy my time as much as possible. But also, I want to get to the end and see like this story that everybody's talking about. Um, but yeah, so it's a it's an amazing platformer, and these people they know what they're doing when it comes to jumping and running and designing levels. It's it's a it's really a masterpiece. There's uh, there's new there is new levels coming out too. Yeah, I saw that. So th- yeah. th- th- that is why I picked up the game again, and, and I want to finish the game. So now I'm uh, two areas after the hotel, so area okay. seven maybe. You still have quite I a think. bit to go. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. So that's on the on the Nintendo Switch, and I've been uh, alternating between playing Celeste and also enjoying my time in Pokemon Let's Go. I'm still doing the story, still sort of midway through the game, still taking my time at about 25 hours in. So I'm, I really want to enjoy this game because it's gonna be a while until I have another Pokemon game on the Switch. Mm-hmm. So I want to catch them all, and uh, and I want to take my time to do so. Um. But the game I've been playing a lot um, is God of War mm. on the PS4. So, had I known how good this game is, <laughs> is this it would have been. No- Are you taking penance right now? N- no, I'm saying it would have been number two okay. in my okay. end of the year list. Um, I still love Smash Brothers so much, but this game is amazing, and I. Again, completely understand why it won all of those awards for Game of the Year. Um, so let me tell you about God of War. I played the original God of War on PS2. I played God of War 2. I played God of War on PSP. I think I I was pretty good at God of War. I was really into the game. I played that hard difficulty back in the day when I had a lot of free time because I was in high school. Um, I loved God of War. This game is making me feel those same feelings that the original God of War made me feel over 10 years ago. And then some more. Because mm. it's it's so well designed in the sense that it's not just pretty, because it is. It's, it's amazing to look at. It's got the same quality of a Mario game in that the game sort of blends with the controller in your hands and anything you do from just walking to sprinting to throwing your axe at an enemy to the light attack to the weight attack uh, to the heavy attack sorry uh, everything feels so native to your fingers it's like i'm it's like i'm not controlling kratos doing this i am swinging the axe and it's a it's a combination of visual cues on screen and the and the the way the motion is conveyed it's it's a combination of how the vibration feels through the dual shock and of course it's a superb animation work and just the performance of the game the fluidity of the game all these elements combined it makes you f- every single fight even though there's not a huge variety of enemies but every single fight feels different. And it's one of those rare games where the action feels extremely natural, even though you're pulling off very complicated combos. Like once you start unlocking different skills, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, you can pull off very complicated sequences of actions. But it still feels so easy and so natural. So fighting in this game is incredible. But the part that I was not expecting to find in God of War, aside from the story and this relationship between Kratos and his son and the excellent voice acting, like the story part is beautiful and way more um, 
than I was expecting from a from an action game. But the RPG elements are what get me. <laughs> like those, oh. the fact that you can level up Kratos and you have a skill tree and you can unlock different types of skills in different categories of skills. You can mix and match the kind of skills that you want to have. Maybe you want to get better at close combat, so you're going to improve your axe uh, skills. You can you can get better at the uh, combined uh, combat with your son uh, Atreus. You can you can improve skills for Atreus, so throwing arrows or Atreus attacking enemies. So you can choose the kind of style that you want to have, but also you can unlock different types of equipment, and you can improve your equipment through upgrades and when you unlock upgrades you can uh, you can use these artifacts these enchantments they're called to um, apply specific status modifiers to your uh, to your weapons or to your uh, for example to your um, to the armor that you're wearing so it's a very lightweight RPG thrown into God of War and it's an incredible combo because not only do you see uh, Kratos changing on screen, like if you're wearing a different uh, armor, if you're wearing different accessories, you actually see the, see those in the game. Whereas like in old RPGs, even though you change your weapon or your accessories, the character never changed. Mm-hmm. Like visually on screen, it was always the same. But of course, in this case, it changes. But also like it appeals to that part of my brain about you know stats and numbers and constant improvement and doing side missions to unlock better equipment or to unlock more experience points because you actually have experience points in this God of War and you can collect more money to buy more things. It's amazing. So a combination of the this natural and this natural flow of the of each fight. And the excellent work that has gone into um, mapping actions to the DualShock controller. And the RPG elements are just, they make this game so well done. And it's, it's sort of open worldish in the sense that there's a central hub uh, that you can use to visit, not to spoil anything, but to visit different locations. But it's not as immense and sprawling as something like Assassin's Creed. Or a GT or or Red Dead Redemption Two, for example, it doesn't make you feel lost. So even though it's a big game with lots of content, I feel like it's a game that an adult <laughs> person can play, uh, even though they have a job and, and a family. Like you can put in a couple of hours uh, each evening, and you're still gonna feel feel satisfied and you feel like you can understand what is going on in the game. So um, it, I feel like it's becoming increasingly rare to find a combination of elements, a combination of design and graphical performance and open-world elements, but also an accessible design. All these things are so rare. And now I'm 22, 25 hours into God of War. I still haven't finished the story. Uh, of course, I think it's, I'm a little halfway, th- but halfway through maybe. Um, but I can totally understand why people have been raving about this game and mike you need to play this game at some point because it is beautiful okay it is violent but it is fun okay you i mean you've you've definitely sold it well enough to me i mean that coupled with yeah. the many 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 awards mm-hmm. it's and, on my and, and long also, list um i bought a new ps vita <laughs> uh you're gonna have to explain that <laughs> so um yes um so I've been craving uh, some Final Fantasy Tactics again. I feel like it, it's one of, it's one of my favorite games of all time, possibly my favorite game of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and every few years, I go through this process of having to play Final Fantasy Tactics. And so I thought, well, I, I don't want to play the game on iOS because the iOS version kind of sucks. Um, it doesn't support the 2018 iPad Pro, for example, um, and Square Enix doesn't do a good job at porting <laughs> full. PC or console games to iOS. So my first thought was, well, I'm going to play the original uh, PS1 game on on my PS Vita. But then I realized, well, I can actually play the PSP version on my PS Vita because uh, they did War of the Lions uh, back in the day on the PSP. So I took out my PS Vita uh, from the drawer when it's been for for a couple of years, basically, and it's all scratched and the battery doesn't last long anymore. And I thought, well, this kind of sucks. You know, I don't want to play a game on this screen with all these scratches and the battery lasts like two hours. 
So I thought, well, maybe um, I could play the, this PSP game because Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions is a PSP game. Maybe I could play this on an actual PSP. And I have a PSP Go, which I haven't used a lot, but I still consider one of Sony's best designs ever. You know, the, the, P, the tiny PSP that you can flip open to reveal the controls in the oh, yeah. bottom half. Yeah, yeah I always mine. wanted one of those. Yeah, it's it's super. It goes super expensive on eBay if you want to buy a new one, or Amazon if you can find a new sealed one. Uh, but I have one; it's used by me, but not a lot. Um, so I asked my mom, "Hey, can you look for my PSP Go?" And she found it. Um, then I had to buy a charger from Amazon because I couldn't find my original charger. So I started playing on the PSP Go, and then I realized, you know, um, there's a bunch of old PlayStation 1 games that I want to play. And this console is a bit too small for my hands. I I would rather prefer to keep this console in my collection uh, and, and my parents' house instead of having to use it and not loving the screen just because it, it's a bit too small for, for my taste nowadays. It was better when I was younger. Um, there's a bunch of PSP and PS1 and PS Vita RPGs that I never got to so I could start by playing Final Fantasy Tactics on a Vita and then I could move on to this huge backlog that I have including Final Fantasy X and and X2 HD those are coming to the Switch also but I feel like I should play the Vita version because I already own a copy Um, and so basically the thought process was I'm gonna play on the Vita but my Vita is all scratched I'm gonna play on the PSP Go which I love it's beautiful but it's a bit too small and to the third step of, I'm going to buy a new PS Vita. Um, <laughs> so I found a Japanese glacier white PS Vita on Amazon US. It looks amazing. Like this version that is a Japanese exclusive. Uh, of course, region, uh, region unlocked. Uh, not a concern. You can use it in English and you can use all of your games. Um, it looks beautiful. It's black and white, classic Sony design. I love it. So, Yeah. Um, I'm playing Final Fantasy Tactics, War of the Lions on a new PS Vita in 2019. This is a, quite a turn. The thing that I think surprised me the most about all this was you were like, oh, well, it's coming out on the Switch, but I'll just play it on the Vita instead. It's like, what? It's a very interesting uh, route to take. I, I feel like I want to, I don't know why, but I feel like I want to take advantage of the physical copy that I have for my Vita of 10 and 10.2 and play on the Vita. Uh, and on the Switch, I'm going to play Final Fantasy 12, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let me, I'm going to play 12 on the Switch for sure. But I, I feel bad for that copy of 10 that I, that I never, like a physical copy that I actually never opened. So, and also, I just love the idea of playing old PlayStation uh, era RPGs. Like, I want to play Suicoden, for example. Finally, I never played that. Um, I want to play Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I never played that either. So I have a huge backlog of PlayStation games 20 years later that I need to catch up with and finally play. And uh, yeah, the Vita in 2019, still a thing. Um, the, the the web store is still supported. You can still oh. go in and download anything you want. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so huh. yeah, PS Vita 2019. Um, it's fun. It's beautiful. This one is so pretty. I'm going to send you pictures. Keeping the dream alive, eh? I'm always. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is very surprising. This is very surprising. Well, okay, I'm I'm very pleased for you. Uh, maybe Jay had bought an Atari 2600. I don't know. We'll find out maybe. Uh, after we take a break. Thank our <laughs> friends over at Squarespace for their support of this show. You should make your next move with Squarespace. They let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. Maybe it's a PSP fan site. Who knows? With a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that will let you put whatever you want online. It's an all-in-one package. There's nothing to install or patch or upgrade, and they back up everything with 24-7 customer support. Their templates are super customizable, and you can sign up for a free trial. You go to squarespace.com slash remaster, and you can go in. You can tinker with everything and actually get everything set up to your heart's content before you send it out into the world. Whether you want to create a blog, an online store, or a portfolio, they have all the functionality that you're going to need. This is why I've been using Squarespace probably for about 10 years now. Like For as long as I've been wanting to put 
things online, I have always been using Squarespace because they are the platform that makes the most sense to me. As somebody that doesn't uh, know or doesn't want to learn how to build websites from scratch, um, I get to go into Squarespace. Everything's super intuitive, and I know my way around. It's really easy to pick it up and use. It's fantastic. Their plans start at just $12 a month, but as I said before, you can sign up for a trial by going to squarespace.com slash remaster. Then when you sign up, use the code remaster at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash remaster and the code remaster for 10% of your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So Shahid, what have you been up to? Well, last year was not one of my best years. Mm -hmm. I've had loads and loads of great years, so I was owed a bad year. And towards the end, I had some surgery done to treat some RSI. To really top off that great yeah. year, huh? To top off a great year, had some surgery <laughs> for RSI, oh, um, which would have meant I would have needed a little bit of rehab to recover full function of my left hand. And that surgery site became really badly infected. I ended up in A&E, uh, literally biting my hand to stop myself screaming in pain. Mm -hmm. Turned out it was badly infected. I needed two more operations uh, to sort myself out. And uh, it was not pleasant. No. And so the surgery site was enlarged, um, you know, two more surgeries, had a further uh, further incision made in my finger. Basically, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And the rehab is now going to be a few more months. So I thought, you know what? Over the Christmas break, I'm not going to work. I'm going to play Good video man. games. Good <laughs> man. <laughs> so I decided uh, that I was going to accelerate my rehab by playing video games. Sadly, I was not able to use controllers that well. I tried a little bit. I played a few games with controllers, but it really hurt. So I didn't do that. Good man. But I did play a whole bunch of games. I played more games over the Christmas break, and I've continued to play games than I've done probably in the last 10 years put together. And I even finished a game, which I mean, it wasn't a huge game, but, you know, I don't finish many games anyway. So I'm going to fly through my list because there were tons and there's some some games that definitely deserve a shout out because they're games I revisited and and just want to kind of underline. Right. There's some specifics going on here, right? Because you said you couldn't use controllers. So these are non-consoles, right? Right, right. right so okay. I, I tried and I did play a few games with controllers, but it was very hard. So let's start off with the Apple games I played. So I played um, one of my favorite games of last year was Atomic Run Gun Jump Gun. Mm -hmm. I played that on Apple TV and I thought the controls were really nicely done, but it was not the best version. And I don't think I've got the Switch version as well. And I don't think that's the best version. I actually think the iPhone stroke iPad version is the best version. It has the best controls, but I'm gi giving it a mention simply because I think it has the best use of the awful Siri remote that I've seen in a game in a long time. You know, there's nothing that went wrong. Everything felt natural. It was a bit kind of laggy, but it was okay. So perfectly good fun. I played a whole bunch of free-to-play games. I played Dashy Crashy a fair bit. I played that on the iPhone, the iPad, and the Apple TV. It kind of uses the Crossy Road kind of model. You know, you can unlock well, you can tell tons in the of name. different cars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and there, there was a collaboration as well. So it, it sounds like it was all all done in um, good taste. And yeah, uh, so, so that's cool. Um, the Apple TV version, although it plays OK, the control is so bad that I ended up switching the language to Japanese without realizing I'd done it and oh, then wow. turned the sound off. <laughs> I had no idea how I did it. And Blimey. it's just by swiping, you know. So. Uh, thumbs down. I don't 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 know if I should give the thumbs down to the game for its implementation of the control or to the Siri remote because it just makes it almost impossible to use the remote well anyway. It's always the Siri remote's fault. Always, yeah, the always. Because the, yes. the game, yes. the, <laughs> the game was a lot of fun on iPhone and iPad, and um, I I was playing that today actually. So yeah, yeah, good fun. Uh, short games kind of suits my. RSI. And then, of course, you know, I've got this thing about idle clickers. So I've really, mm -hmm. <laughs> really played a lot of idle clickers. I won't mention them all, but I, I've just started to play Universal Paperclip. Oh, boy. 
I lost a few days to that recently. <laughs> so it's totally bare bones, right? Yeah. It looks like someone knocked it up in, in JavaScript and then just threw it up. But it is so good. It's I so spent compulsive. The vast majority of a 10 hour flight playing that game. It's crazy. How, yeah. I, I just don't get it. Just watching those numbers like, oh, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm running a business, you know, and I'm seeing things that aren't there. Yes. You know, I'm tweaking stuff and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, revenue, but but what's my margin on this? <laughs> what are the true costs? Where yeah, are they? You know, it's just amazing. Uh, makes me feel like I'm running a proper business and all the extra stuff that comes online, the compute resources and all of that. It's just brilliant. It's It's just a work of genius. And I don't recommend it to people who are otherwise stressed or rushed because you're going to lose a lot of time playing this mm-hmm. game. The game that really stole my heart, though, was Space Plan. I went back to that, published by Devolver Digital a while ago. has been around for a bit, but that's the game that I finished. And it has an absolutely superb ending. The music is beautiful. The sound throughout is beautiful. It's a really nicely done idle clicker because it doesn't follow all of the um, same principles. There are several kind of mini resets. They're not really okay. resets as such. Um, uh, there's a principle in idle clickers where you get this kind of like um, a badge of honor by resetting, but then everything goes faster. So you lose everything that you've, you've got, but everything goes faster. It, it kind of does that in a way, but it does it really well, really tastefully. It's not quite the same implementation, and, and it does it a few times. Totally recommended. The writing's not too serious, which I like, you know, because it could be. There's some nice bits of humor in there. And it's just put together really, really well. So I love that. Another game that's put together extremely well, really stylish, is Beat Street. I've been playing that on iPhone and iPad. And again, it follows a lot of the uh, free to play tropes where if you don't watch it, you'll spend, if you don't watch out, that is, you'll spend a lot of time watching adverts just to progress. But it's got all those things about, you know, come back the next day to claim your next prize and uh, whatever. It's got that nice Streets of Rage style, you know, that. Um, but it's toned down. It's cute. It's not as fierce as Streets of Rage. And the controls are so sweet. I don't know how they've done it. But, you know, uh, the one thing you've got to watch out with this is it's really, really bad for your RSI. <laughs> so I, I I, was very happy to only have to use my right hand because it's a left hand that got operated on. Um, the right hand does need an operation, and this is not going to help in um, <laughs> in improving my situation before the operation goes ahead. But it's a sweet game. The controls are responsive. Sound is beautiful. I just love the sound. It's got so many little touches that makes it feel slightly Japanese, but not too Japanese. Um, very, very hard to pull that off, you know, without making it look like you're making fun of Japanese games, because it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's just really respectful and really sweet. Um, Phoenix 2 is a top-down shooter. I like it. I've been playing it on the iPad Pro. I've been playing it with a pencil. Interestingly, I've been trying to see which games I can get away with playing with a pencil. Stardew Valley. Right. Okay. So Stardew Valley, not my, uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, I know that, uh, I mean, I do have it. I've got it on Steam, but no, I just lose too much time. That's the kind of thing that I know would require a 200 hour investment before I saw anything useful at all. But Phoenix 2, you can play. Uh, I didn't expect that I would ever say in my entire life that you can play um, not so much a bullet hell, but a bullet ballet type of game using a pencil as a controller but it works really well and it's especially nice on 12.99 inch ipad pro sound is superb the music kind of has that um german feel um but the game itself has a kind of japanese feel it's it's beautiful it's a big big um upgrade on the original phoenix so that's been fun i'm playing that every day now this is going to surprise some people but because of one of my kids, I kind of got back into Fruit Ninja, and that is ace with a pencil. Absolutely superb. You can mash your old scores. Yeah, I, I when the Apple Pencil came out originally, this was a game that I was trying with it, and it's like, oh, it's much easier now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I was already really, really good at Fruit Ninja. I didn't know anyone I hadn't beaten. In fact, there's um, a friend of mine, I hope he's listening to the show, um, once showed me a slightly higher score than me, he screenshotted it and sent it over and uh, asked him about it later. I said, how do you do that? Because I don't think it's possible to play any better than I've played. 
He said, I faked it. It's the Photoshop. So thank you for that. But anyway, I've been doubling those scores thanks to the pencil. And it's not so much fun when you get to like the higher levels because you're watching an ad almost every game. It's not quite every game. It's sometimes every two games, sometimes every one game. Uh, then you end up watching the ads to double your star fruit and all of that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of painful. I wish, and I've even posted up a, a review on the App Store saying, listen, I'll give you 30 quid for this game if you let me play it with, without ads for an iPhone game. I'll do it happily. It wasn't always this way, was it? No, like, I've got the original. Right, you can yeah. still get Fruit Ninja Classic. It just doesn't have all the cool stuff in the new game. Right, okay. But yeah, I would have gladly given them that. So the other thing I did was I spent a lot of time on Steam. I downloaded about 15, 20 games. I bought 15, uh, downloaded five that I'd bought before, but I'd never installed. Uh, but I'll just comment on a small number of them. Uh, asked a bunch of people what I should play on New Year's Eve just to chill out. And uh, a lot of people recommended What Remains of Edith Finch. Now, I knew it was a great game. I knew oh, about the heritage so of the developers. Yeah, everyone had been talking about it. And, you know, I I knew I'd, I'd like it. I didn't know if I'd love it. And at first I thought, yeah, this is exactly what I expected. It's classy, it's stylish, it's well-written. It's got a beautiful interface, but no surprises. And then I got surprised. And I thought, ah, yeah, I get it now. This is really, really beautiful. I didn't finish it. I played it about three or four hours. So I'm probably pretty close to the finish. Uh, it's not a particularly um, long game. So I will finish that. Uh, another game I've been playing, but this one with one of my kids is a game that has not reviewed very well on on uh, Steam. Um, gold Rush is basically a gold mining simulator. It's set in Alaska. That's some, ne- never something I thought I'd be doing, but uh, you know, with the kid, you... it's kind of educational. Okay, it's <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> why then? But now, yeah, okay. because it's because kids, you know, and yep. this this is kind of educational, and you get to get more excited about stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily be excited about that's the kind of thing you do with kids it's like you rediscover the stuff that you found exciting when you were younger but stopped exploring because you found other interests so you can actually control every aspect of an excavator you know you can you can control the big arm you can control the small arm you can control the bucket you can open close it you can raise and lower it and you've got this ridiculous amount of control on just the excavator and you have the same level of control on just about every vehicle, every item in the game. Um, and we whiled away a ridiculous amount of time on this Gold Rush game, which was, um, yeah, which was funny, because I'd never have done it otherwise. Um, the game I spent the longest on was Ukulele, because I always wanted to play that, because it was like the spiritual successor. Can I say that without, um, uh, without getting booze? I probably can just about get away with it for maybe another couple of months. Uh, the spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. I mean, you can clearly see it when you play the game. Yes. You know, the music, the dialogue, the graphics, everything about it is Banjo-Kazooie. So no surprises, but really tastefully done, thoroughly enjoyable. Obviously, I don't think it was going to have the impact of the original, but it's lovely to see the heritage of one of my favorite games of the Nintendo 64 era uh, alive and kicking in 2018, which is when I played it. I only had time to play a couple of games on the Switch because it messed up my hand pretty badly. Mario Kart was the culprit because, I don't know if you know or not, but Super Mario Kart is still my favorite video game of all time, the SNES version. Still great. And I spent, uh, I don't know, uh, I I worked this out once, but it was definitely over 2,000 hours, and I think that might be a massive underestimate. Um, But yeah, I played a bit of Mario Kart. It's great family fun. I will never, ever tire of this game absolutely beautiful and to be clear this was on the switch and there was lots of four-player action going on sadly that became three-player because i just couldn't keep it up uh the other game i played a bit longer i started playing this on the switch and then i carried on on the pc was enter the gungeon which i'd had a look at before and i kind of dismissed because there's so many games like it but i gave this one a bit more time and it's it's got this um uh roll dodge or dodge roll mechanic i think it's called a dodge roll yeah um which really does give it another dimension. At first, I found the controls a little bit laggy, but after a while, you kind of get into this, the feel of the game. You know, it has its own uh, spirit of control, which works really well. And the thing I loved about it is, at this point, yeah, I'd been trying loads of games and, and finding them 
Well, not to my liking. Let's be polite here. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to dismiss the work of people, but they were just not to my liking. And they took, the, and the reason for that was not because they were bad games per se, but the kind of games I like nowadays are, I want to just be able to get into it. Don't give me the prelude. Don't give me full motion video. Don't give me any of that stuff. Just let me get into the game and start having fun. And Enter the Gungeon was absolutely that. So I persisted with that for a little while and must say, once I got into the feel of the controls, it felt great and it was fun. It looked good. Felt good. Nice one. Good work. Good job. Yeah, there you go. So I, I must have played about another 15, 20 games uh, over that period. And that is, by my standards, a crazy amount of games. But the good news is that the gaming has not stopped. And I've resolved this year to ensure that there is some gaming in my life every single day. 